0: Okay, here we are on another episode of Redefine. I'm super excited because today I have a guest on. It's not just me talking to myself or to those of you who are listening. The beautiful Sarah Stars, I would like to call her a friend, if I may, even though we haven't met in person, but Instagram literally is like the best friendship dating app on the planet, Um, is joining me. And we're going to talk about redefining parenting. So, first, I'm going to get Sarah to introduce herself just a little bit so we know who she is. And then we're going to dive straight in. So Sarah, hi, thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you bring into the world. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I totally agree. Instagram like cuts through so much of that fluffy small talk and we
1: get to be like into the depths of friendship. So I love that. And yeah, my name is Sarah Stars. I'm a period coach for parents with periods. And I really. Work with parents who are feeling often exhausted, overwhelmed, burnt out, often like they're really bogged down in kind of all of the parenting advice and the shoulds of parenting. Often they really feel like they've lost important parts of themselves in parenting and don't fully know who they are anymore. And using um, my cyclic parenting framework, which has menstrual cycle awareness at its foundations, we really work together to help them create a life that feels juicy and nourishing and playful and fulfilling and connected through the superpowers of their menstrual cycle. And I came to this work. I trained at your friend, Claire Baker's cycle coach school last year. I came to this work because I had a really transformative um, menstrual cycle awareness practice before I had a child. And then I felt a bit lost after I had my baby, it was like in one way I totally came home to myself and it felt really primal and natural, and there were other elements, I mean we had a really traumatic family experience when my son was very young that I think took me away from myself a little bit but I just struggled to find my feet more generally, but also in this menstrual cycle awareness work that had been so powerful for me before having children. But like some of the things that I'd been doing, you know, when I had great stretches of time to rest and kind of Mm -hmm. complete control over my day because I was self-employed, it just felt so different to now. um, How did I fit in that kind of honoring of my cyclic experience within (laughs) the the really real time constraints of having a child and I think that the cycle is so powerful for families because it really does bring you back to yourself, to all the parts of you and to that really strong intuitive voice that I think is so important if we are going to parent in new ways and reparent ourselves in the process. So those are kind of some of the things that I help parents work together um, Yeah, in my one-to-one coaching and courses and what brought me here to chat with you today.
0: Mm, I am... uh... I'm almost speechless because I was like, "Yes, yeah, so she's actually the perfect person to talk to about this." So here's what here's what I'm thinking. Here's something that I am coming up against quite a lot in the world, which is two very strong narratives. The predominant one, which is what I would say, the um, less self-aware, more dogmatic and conditioned parent might say which is about how parenting is so hard it's so time consuming it's so exhausting it's the hardest thing they've ever done their, in their lives they feel so unsupported they feel so alone they feel like it is so 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 hard and you know of course we all have moments where we question and have doubts in anything that we do that's completely normal but they're really stuck in this cycle of like, "Why is this so hard?" Mm-hmm. And then there's the minority of parents who I, from my observation, I have approached this from a more conscious and um, different kind of expectations kind of place, or maybe already have a, have ease with living. A more cyclical way with nature because nature is always changing and growing um, who seem to have you know of course it's still challenging because anything new is challenging like starting a business is challenging having a child starting a family is challenging there are so many things in life you know some of the most rewarding things are so challenging but somehow they have found uh, a more fluid and graceful dance with those challenges and so that what I want to redefine with you, what I'm hoping for us to redefine is this narrative, this the first one, the conversation of mm-hmm. it's so hard, it's so horrible, not that they don't love their children, but like it's so exhausting, it's so overwhelming. I feel so unsupported. Mm-hmm. How do we change that? And what's at the root of that? And then I have a million of millions of questions there, like, one of them is what do parents need? But let's, I've just asked you like seven questions. So let's go with whatever's coming up for you there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear that and, and
1: feel that so much. And I know in my own experience, like I really naturally fell into the style of parenting that people call attachment parenting. And in a way it's like really a return to kind of traditional parenting wisdom of, um, you know, natural term, breastfeeding and baby wearing and co-sleeping and those things. I mean, honestly, I'm like a bit lazy. So those things just felt like way easier to me than like warming up bottles in the middle of the night. If I could roll over and like without a boob, that's like a lot easier. Um, (laughs) But there was also ways in which I think um, recognizing also, I I mean, I don't, I don't need to like vague book about it. My student um, got really sick with meningitis when he was two weeks old. So we were like really um, like in this trauma spell as a family. And I think that was part of it, but I think a lot of people experience some form of trauma um, through birth or just through um, Also,
0: the responsibility of keeping yeah. another human being alive feels tremendous, especially right at the beginning where you're like, oh my God, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> and I think a lot of people don't realize, And but I
1: heard someone speak to this the other day, and I think it's so true that often um, the age of parenting um where you were least supported or didn't have your needs met can have like, then when you're parenting a child through that, it can oh, really trigger stuff in you. So if you were not held and cuddled, if you were left to cry as a baby and then you're mm-hmm. trying to cuddle your baby through their crying, that crying can be so triggering. So I think often um, we, we end up in this, you know, uh, these experiences that are very challenging and and, and triggering. Mm-hmm. Um, but so for me, I know I kind of threw myself into this attachment parenting in such a way that I, Um, fell into something that I'd really wanted to avoid, which I was often um, kind of pushing past my own needs and not recognizing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, my own needs within that. And that um, was really imbalanced. And I think for, for many parents, like what I want to say is if you are feeling like it's hard, And you are feeling unsupported. And actually, Vyanda, in your workshop with Claire Baker, um, the Boundary Workshop, you really um, reminded me of this because we're going through a really full season as a family. We're moving internationally and Mm -hmm. I'm working on building my business and all these things. And and what you said to me and what I would say to parents is like, it is society. It is the systems that are set up against you. It's not you. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with you. And it's not that you're doing anything wrong, but there is another way. And I think what I say to people often is that we are a generation of parents parenting without a village, right? It's not mm-hmm. just you. Life has been set up to keep us busy, to keep life overfull, to keep us unsupported. And I, you know, there's possibly some intentionality in that. Parents are definitely not supported in the way that they would need to be, I don't think, to really
0: thrive. Mm-hmm. And I'd I like to- of- I'm sorry, may I interject? Mm-hmm. I just, as you were speaking, I remembered the study that I read quite recently, which said something along the lines of the people who are parents right now. So basically, people in their thirties and forties are the least parented generation mm. that has been recorded. And what that means is that their parents or our parents were not emotionally, physically, or um, Otherwise, fully present with us because of a their own traumas and b the stresses that they had to handle in their lives. And so, the fact that we are becoming parents without having fully ever been parented ourselves probably adds to this sense of like, oh my god, this is so hard. How do I do this? Like, I haven't been parented, so how can I parent? But of course, that doesn't happen. You know, you're not having this conscious thought. Is just like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm missing what I'm having to give. And so I don't know how to give it in the fullest capacity. And honestly,
1: I think that's because, you know, there's all of this advice out there and it's so conflicting and Ultimately, like, you know, there's never gonna be a one size fits all for thing, which is why I think coming back to the cycle and coming back to the intuition is so important. But there's so much information out there about like sleep and how to get your kids to play independently <laughs> yeah. and how to feed them. And really the biggest thing that we can do for our children is the very difficult and long haul work of reparenting ourselves. Because, like you say, yes. it's, it's paradigm shifting to parent in a new way, but it's going to bring up things.
0: Mm-hmm. that need
1: tending to in ourselves. And mm-hmm. so I think a lot of us are aware of this lack of support. And, I, you know, I think it's important to recognize when things are systemic, when they're just not what is the societal norm. But I think then we have to move past that and say, Well, then what are we going to do about it? Exactly. Starting in our own lives and then hopefully taking that out into the wider world. Because I think too, sometimes people are like, well, we don't have a village. And it's like, if you stop right there, well, what was the village, right? Like your parents and your grandparents probably lived with you and help you raise your child and raise your child in the way that they had raised you. And like, is that what we want? Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm Mm -hmm. actually more and more kind of like into the idea of intergenerational living and Um, Multi family living, but not, I think you said this in Boundary as well. Like, I don't want to live in a community, I need a lot of personal space. But I was just thinking about what that could look like on a neighborhood level. But
0: yeah,
1: um, so we don't actually necessarily, I'm sure there's lots of traditional wisdom and things that our grandmothers did did that we do want to weave into our lives. But I think there's a lot that we want to move beyond and leave Mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I think we really need to think about what revillaging can look like. And I think there's a lot of people out there doing really beautiful work in this area and just making it the norm to support one another more and to think about what that could really look like in your life. And I think you were thinking, saying um, in that kind of intro about parenting of like why is this coming up for so many parents? And I think it it reminds me of that quote of like, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So if you don't think that having your own needs met are met is important, then that becomes like super intensified in parenting when there are so many other people's needs that, literally Mm -hmm. like their survival depends on it. Mm -hmm. If you aren't comfortable asking for support and being deeply supported, then again, I think that gets hyper intensified, especially in that early parenting days when you have a real, real physiological need for support, but I think Mm -hmm. emotional as well. Mm -hmm. So I think again, that That reparenting and that looking at those um, deeper kind of emotional and kind of psycho spiritual elements can be a really important place to start when we are thinking about this idea of kind of like revillaging and what would it look like to parent in a way that was really interconnected and supported.
0: Hmm. Something that I'm seeing some of my mama friends doing that I really admire and that I see as a useful tool is recognizing that when they feel triggered by any of their child's behaviors or needs to recognize them as a mirror of something that is a, a, a thing, an issue in themselves. So let's say like like some stubbornness around something where you're like getting really frustrated. It's like, okay, well, where am I being stubborn actually? Mm -hmm. am I being stubborn in response to the stubbornness is that helping anyone (laughs) like who's the child and who's the parent now and also to say like just recognizing that your child or children are your biggest teachers they're going to be your ascended spiritual masters (laughs) who are going to show you where all your shadows lie and and to embrace that, like, actually, I signed up for this, I mm. wanted this, and now I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> or if I don't enjoy it, you know, like, that's the choice, choice, do I enjoy it? Or do I make it a misery? And so that's something really beautiful that I, I, I'm i seeing and admiring with people. So that narrative changes from like, oh, my kids are so badly behaved. And it's so hard to like, oh, I am seeing where my behaviors are being mirrored. I'm seeing where I need to clean up my stuff. I'm seeing where I need to meet my needs. I'm seeing where I need to learn to have boundaries and things like that. And then the other thing is speaking to the village. I think people very easily go, well, okay, I have two theories. One, I was saying this to a friend of mine the other day. One is that in a way, what would make a lot of sense is that there is this intergenerational raising of children, because when we're in the years of being profoundly fertile, you know, the, the years, the best years of having children, we also have so much energy and inspiration to do other things in the world. Mm-hmm. So what if instead of being like, okay, now I have to parent full time being like, okay, I give birth to this new generation, I hand them to my grandparents, and I can go and do the things in the world. And then when my kids are growing, then it's my turn to parent their kids. And mm. so there's kind of like a um, a handover that happens. So the people who are in their prime who are having kids don't have the full responsibility of also raising the kids. And something else that I see is like, the little bit older generation they have that space and time and also the physical slowness mm. that I think two-year-olds three-year-olds four-year-olds need I mean if you've ever I'm sure you have gone on a walk with a two or three-year-old <laughs> you get nowhere really 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 slow <laughs> mm. I mean it could take an hour to to make it 30 meters if you let if you let them lead right But for a grandparent, it can be like that too. Like they're like, this is my pace. So we can match each other here. We can meet each other here. And so that's good. And then my other thought is then, as, and this is speaking to what you were saying earlier, sometimes we don't want our parents to be (laughs) raising our children because they haven't resolved the trauma or chosen to heal um, the aspects of themselves that, require looking at and so will once again condition your child with that stuff that hopefully you've decided to work through and we don't want that like okay you know this it has to stop somewhere and so what is the village aside from a community of people who decide to support and share with each other and of mm-hmm. course that means that you need to get organized and and go around your local blocks and be like who's got a family who wants to contribute who wants to be a part of something who wants to like help each other honestly if my neighbor was like it would be so helpful if someone like just cooked me a meal once a week i would be so happy to do that you know things yeah. like that so looking at the village as a community project rather than as a return to living in <laughs> some kind of tribal um terrain yeah yeah so speaking to your first point
1: about like recognizing those parenting triggers and where they're kind of showing the places where we could clean up ourselves I'd really recommend two books one being the conscious parent and the second being parenting from the inside out and both of those I think speak really beautifully to our our children as teachers and also to um yeah, this kind of responsibility to reparent ourselves and to often I think we expect behavior from our children that most adults aren't actually emotionally intelligent enough yet to display. And I mean, absolutely, I think both of those are such beautiful re-villaging kind of possibilities. I'm certainly drawn more to the second one. And we are actually in the process actually moving out of our house into an Airbnb today. And we're in the process of moving from the UK to Canada next wow. week to be closer to my family because my mm-hmm. whole family. Family um, lives in one city, whereas my husband's family is a bit more spread out. Um, but just look like that's something that we keep thinking when we think about which neighborhood we're going to live in and such. Is I think that the ability to kind of create community closeness. I mean, I think it was a real lost opportunity that started to happen in some neighborhoods in the pandemic, and mm-hmm. it could have really become a model. Mm-hmm. for how we should be living yeah more generally I mean I think around the world there's been research that that has a massive impact on quality of life and life expectancy and how just more beautiful and vibrant life could be if we were you like you say dropping off food on each other's doorstep and knowing mm-hmm. that there is kind of um you know I just picture even like older people who don't have grandchildren, like how having some kids around would probably Mm -hmm. really enliven in in their lives when they're um, quite isolated. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's some beautiful projects that people have created around um, making it safer for children to be able to play outside. Because I think that's a big thing for parents is that like, you're expected to be parenting. I I certainly wouldn't want to hand off parenting fully to my parents, but like, there's just this real intensity of, and, and I mean, we also home educate, so that adds to it, but that was a choice mm-hmm. of it and quite a joyful one that enriches my life for sure. And hopefully mm-hmm. my son's as well as he grows, but that like when we were kids in the summer, you'd go and play outside on the street for eight hours a day. Yeah. And, and your parents
0: set. didn't care. Well, not that they, they were like, okay, be home <laughs> for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> now yeah. you wouldn't let your
1: kid out of your sight. No, and well, yeah, and I certainly hope to. That is definitely something I want to push back against, and to figure out a way that because it's so important. Um, You know, I remember there's a a blog I've read for a really, really long time. She's a she lives in Brooklyn. Her name is Joanna Godard. She's yeah, like a big following. But she talked about sending, I think her six year old to go like she gave him some money to go buy a chocolate bar and let him go to the bodega down the street, and like he had to cross the road. And but like that that was something she could do as a kid, and that she trusted him to be able to do that. She taught him how to be safe and I remember at the time I hadn't had children I was like oh my god a six-year-old like out in Brooklyn that seems wild um but I think it's actually so important for
0: for kids yeah
1: yeah so I think we know from research that the kind of things I saw a study yesterday it was like 65 percent of 11 year olds have never been allowed outside without adult supervision um and
0: that's wild. That's wild. That's wild. And
1: in the comments, the things that people are scared of, and I totally get this as a parent, and it is scary, but they're things like sexual abuse and abduction and really terrible, scary things. And the fact is that they're incredibly unlikely. Yes, they're way true. less unlikely than they have ever been. Mm-hmm. But we live in this hyper mediaized world where we see. Those risks, if they happen anywhere in the world, they're played out on screens and in newspapers for days and weeks and years and decades sometimes as a case um, local to us has been. And it makes it seem so big. But I just think, Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, all I want for my son is for him to be able to like live near some woods and be able to go build forts all day (laughs) and have his own like child led world when he wants to be and then obviously to be with us and to feel safe and loved and supported when he wants to be
0: oh my um, gosh it reminds me of I don't know if you've read the book by Matthew McConaughey what is no. it called uh, I think it's his only book it's basically his journey journal and then some added added thoughts and he tells the story about when he's 11 years old and he goes to live with his dad in Florida and his dad lives next to these woods and next to these is this sort of like a wood mill I think that's what it's called like where they sell slabs of wood um and he sees this tree and he decides that over the summer holidays he wants to build a tree house and so he devises his plan and he's 11 right like he's a kid mm. he devises his plan where he would get up at five in the morning and sneak into the woodmill and steal planks of wood for a certain period of time until he had enough for a treehouse and then once he did that he convinced his dad to buy him a bunch of and his dad doesn't know like no one's seen the treehouse and he's spent an entire summer building the highest tallest biggest treehouse an 11 year old could build so much and it was so high that he could actually see up across the woods and I was just thinking that is one of the most formative and beautiful and powerful things that a young man can do for himself he kind of it was almost like a rite of passage like I am creating something for myself with my bare hands I'm taking the risks and I'm determined and I'm committed and like we we all need that Absolutely. And I think more and more
1: children are being robbed of that. And mm-hmm. I think it's going to have well, I think it already is like, going to have serious consequences for their personhood, their selfhood, their soul Absolutely. on every level, and, yeah. um, and how they experience the world. And just I mean, Children, and that just goes to show children are so capable. And I think that's another big point as to why parenting can seem so difficult and something that I'm doing a lot more thinking and um, interrogating within myself and research on, and that I'm not an expert in, but is this idea of adultism and adultism being the idea that our society is set up for and to benefit adults with the idea that, um, adulthood and I, was, I would argue a specific um, point of adulthood which then you decline in the eyes of society and perhaps in worth and value um, although we know that to be not true but I understand, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're, you know a child is this like unfinished human and that we have to um, properly mold them to be a good adult. And I think a lot of what being a good adult to do has to do with being a good capitalist, really. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and that's what schools are set up for. Mm. And there's more and more pressure mm. on parents to, um, I think, mold children in this certain way. And a lot of parenting advice, even this kind of idea of like gentle parenting and gentle discipline still I think has at its basis, this idea that we should be like manipulating and controlling children's behavior and trying to Mm. get them to this certain point X Mm -hmm. where I think- Where they
0: fit into the mold and they suit the society's- needs yeah. or consumption.
1: <laughs> and I think if we can redefine that and recognize that children are full persons within themselves. And our job as parents is more to create the safe space where they can stay in that fullness of who they are, right? To not have to go to therapy and read a bazillion self-help books to come back to that fullness, but to stay in it because it's safe and protected throughout their childhood.
0: Um I Um, love this so much it's the most profound thing for me part of that is like so for example
1: there are things that um we don't let our um our four my son is four he's nearly five we don't let him see and um like violent things. He he hasn't seen um, superheroes yet. And we try and stay away from overly commercialized like children's shows and things where then you're going to see all the the stuff in Mm -hmm. um, supermarkets. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk to him about we talked to him about like being kind to the planet and taking care of bees and planting gardens and we pick up litter in our neighborhood, but we haven't talked to him about like catastrophic climate change and climate collapse. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I think those are things that I don't think he needs to know that. <laughs> not exactly, right now. <laughs> right. And there's like lots of things that I think that he's not cognitively able to process. I mean, I can barely, I can't exactly process climate collapse, right? <laughs> yeah. it's too much. So there are ways in which I think we're protecting him in that way. And it's a fine line. Like he would really wants to watch superheroes because his friends watch superheroes. There's a Mm -hmm. fine line, um, between us creating that safe space, I think for him to flourish. And are we, um, when do you give up more and more control? Mm -hmm. I think it's a dance for sure, but I think Mm -hmm. there's absolutely this beautiful journey of, when you can step back and say, it's not my job to control his behavior. It's mm-hmm. not my job to make sure that he turns out in this specific way. It takes some of the pressure off your shoulders as well. And again, I think mm-hmm. it goes, I mean, so much of this goes back to this reparenting journey because to, to step back, just to come out of this place of control and manipulation, that's we're definitely requiring, um, some reparenting on, my husband and mine's part because all of us were victims of adultism right All mm-hmm. of us
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean perhaps there are families but I think would say mostly we have been the victims of adultism
0: Yeah. Um, unless you by proxy it's not in, on, on purpose
1: <laughs> Yes yeah, absolutely and just so um, it takes a lot of, of unlearning for us to think about yeah what what we what our role is as parents and that perhaps it's not actually what we thought it was. Mm-hmm. and like you've said already that our children are teaching us at least as much as we're teaching them that we they, they have so much to offer and i think there's just that just brings so much juiciness into family life when we are seeing them people and full kind of contributing members in the family even if our roles at this time look a bit different
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what do you think parents need like t- tangible practical concise things that Mm. they can reach for or start designing into their lives in order to relax into parenthood feel safe and secure in allowing their child to show them who they are instead of forcing them into who they think they should be Mm. and find that dance that balance between holding the line and also letting it go. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest
1: thing, and I know you have a beautiful course about this and it's something I work with people in a kind of cycle awareness um, basis in my one-to-one work, but I would really focus on creating a super strong relationship with your intuition Mm -hmm. because there's always going to be so much noise out there. There's always going to be people who have an opinion no matter what you do, if you breastfeed your kid or you don't breastfeed your kid, somebody is going to think that you're doing it wrong. And Mm -hmm. the fact that they think you're doing it wrong it's probably just a projection of what they did or didn't do and how they feel about it but
0: oh my gosh I'm just going to interrupt from him but it annoys me so much that people think it's okay to project their own beliefs onto other people like whatever works best for you is what's best for you and your family that's that's the rule not what anyone else thinks absolutely and actually when I When I was having before I had Peter, um,
1: I have family and friends like across the world. So they sent me beads wrapped in these little um, like well wishes and prayers and things that they had um, written for me to like kind of infuse the beads. And then I had them at Peter's birth. But uh, my friend's mom sent me um, one that just said the best parenting advice I could ever give is just that like a full sentence is this is what works for our family. And I've turned to that so Mm. many times because I think there's also within us like this real desire to share what has worked for us Mm -hmm. and to believe that is the right thing because then we can like work through some parenting guilt that maybe we're having. But just to be like, (laughs) this is what works for our family. And to be honest, for me, it's become, this is what works for our family right now. Like children and family dynamics change so quickly. Mm -hmm. So I think the more that you can connect into that intuition- the more that you can sense what is right for your family and just tune, turn down the volume on everything else. I think that's huge. And I think it's a really beautiful thing to teach and model to our children because mm-hmm. we're just all in information overload all of the time. Mm-hmm. I think
0: definitely. Okay. So intuition is one. What else? I would think like just
1: thinking about what can your support network look like? And I know some people do some planning around this before their birth, but like finding those like-minded people, you know, there's often um, local parenting groups. And I think you can find like ways to start finding those people who like are wanting to do things a bit different, who want to have like meal trains when someone's sick or who want to have like weekend movie nights in someone's backyard or um, do like something like some flower planting. So just like thinking what, what would a support network look like? What would a thriving community look like? And what are some really small ways you could start bringing that in and you know knowing that a support network if you're in the privileged position um have that it can also be paid help right like it could be um meal delivery services or a cleaner like we had a cleaner for a little while, and it's life-changing for sure Mm -hmm. we'll definitely get back to that we can Um, and working through any judgment that you have around um getting that help working through that kind of internalized um I uh, thoughts that you need to do it all. Something that I keep hearing from parents is like, I know that I can't do it all. I know that I shouldn't do it all. And I feel like I have to do it all. And um, it's, yeah, it's a really important one to work through, I think. Mm-hmm. So thinking about what support networks you could call on and what would, would maybe look like to bring a bit more connection community into your life.
0: Um,
1: and for me, if you do have a menstrual, cycle I think that beginning to track it and to live in tune with it a little bit more I do have a free ebook about this on my website um, but I think that just can be such a powerful tool for coming home to us I think of it as a compass back to the self each and every month we're going through this process this really creative process but one that's you know um, I have like a workshop coming up about how we can use the call of the pre because I think so often it's when our resources are so low, when we can't tolerate the things that aren't working anymore. And that becomes mm-hmm. this beautiful invitation for problem solving. And so many of our family's most beautiful, well-loved rhythms have become this like creative um blossoming out of the pre because I was like, this just isn't working. Like, what are we going to do? Mm. Um, and that change kind of comes from there. So I think if you beginning to work with your cycle can be a really beautiful way to come back to the self, if you are feeling like you've lost parts of yourself and parenting, if you're kind of not even sure what kind of self-care will be helpful anymore um, and you're not sure what your desires are I think that the cycle's a really beautiful p- pathway there mm-hmm. and I think having some conversations with whoever is in your house whether that's children or partner um, and really getting clear on your family's values and you actually I think in um, one of your free e-courses have a, a beautiful section on identifying values I think that's just like such an important conversation to have because mm-hmm. I think if our lives are feeling overfull, recognizing that a lot of it is stuff that we've opted into and we can opt out of, right? Like kids yeah. do not need a zillion acts. I would argue they are better off without them. There might be one or two like really intentionally chosen activity you want to do every week. But I think intentional supli- simplicity and having those values to kind of hold things up against Up the side and say, is this fitting our family's values? Like, is having activities every week is feeling really, really busy every weekend, is that matching our family's values? And maybe for you it is. Certainly for us, it's not. And so we've gone through this process of real well, Peter's Peter's a bit young for loads of activities, anyways, but um. Yeah, this process. And the thing really is, what most kids find. are really,
0: sorry to speak over you, no, but no, what, not at what all. most kids are really craving is for you to be really present with them. Absolutely. It's not about all the activities, it's how present are you with them? Like because they're desperately needing to be witnessed at that age. Like witness yeah. me, look at me existing. I need you to witness me existing. That is your job. <laughs>
1: I absolutely agree. And I
0: think the more that we
1: can do that work of just cultivating presence, our children benefit from that so much. And they benefit from being bored. Like the most creative things that my son do come from the times also, you know, like the being really present when I'm present and holding a firm boundary with him when I'm unavailable. And I think that's something that gets... A lot of parents find challenging. And I have certainly found challenging as well. Like that sometimes when you have to hold those boundaries and not be available. But it's okay. Like your cup of tea shouldn't, you know, that's like in so many means your cup of tea shouldn't have to get cold. Like you can drink a hot cup of tea and have those few minutes to yourself. You can go take care of the things that you need to take care of yourself. And something that I've found is there was times when I was so exhausted and burnt out in parenting that the idea of holding a boundary and the um resistance that that was likely to meet felt like more than I could manage
0: yeah
1: yeah but then when I did hold those boundaries because the pain of not holding it became greater than the pain of holding it like the resistance it melts away and he goes off and he finds something and I know that's harder with a baby um who can't go take them off themselves off and build something out of scraps of cardboard Mm -hmm. um and something that I would point to there is this idea of the the good enough parent um, and I'll just read a quote about this because I found it so helpful when my son was really little. Um, it's a quote from Sarah Ocklesmith's The Gentle Parenting book. And she says this about the Enough Parent. In the 1950s and 1960s, British pediatrician and psychoanalyst Donald Winnicott developed his concepts of holding a good enough mother, which applies as much today. Winnicott described a mother's physical and psychological holding of her child as providing them with the confidence and support necessary for them to grow and develop into a healthy individual. He believed that the foundation of health are laid down by the ordinary mother in her ordinary loving care of her own baby, and also was also a proponent of increased empathy and trust in mothers. His idea of the good enough mother highlighted the fact that the mother's small mistakes actually facilitated the development of her child. He held that no mother was perfect and indeed that perfection was actually undesirable. It is when a mother trusts her judgment that she is at her best. And I think that idea of being good enough is so powerful as well because there's going to be times when your baby has to cry for a few minutes or when... Mm -hmm you misinterpret their cues or when you do lose your temper and then afterwards you model repair and you show mm-hmm. your child what it is to apologize because I think we should all be apologizing to our children and treating them with the same respect we would if we lost our
0: our temper with an adult mm-hmm. absolutely and-, and showing you showing them that you're human so
1: yes yeah
0: we're not these righteous godly creatures we're people just like them who make mistakes yeah. and get it wrong and can acknowledge that and repent will will repent, but, you know, speak to it, own it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think knowing that, that actually it's in your humanness, in both that beautiful, like you say, being present, nurturing warmth that they grow, but it's also in your humanness and your flaws. It's in all of it that they, mm-hmm. they really thrive and need you. And I think something you spoke to, which is that dance of, um, when to kind of cede more and more control to your child. Um, I mean, it's an ongoing for me. It's a yeah, this ongoing unlearning of knowing that I can give more and more control. We've, um, just given a five-year-old control of his bedtime and actually it's gone superbly. Um, <laughs> it's yeah it's not something I thought of before but it time was becoming really difficult and we thought you know what you can just decide when you go to bed and we'll still like we'll be available to put you to bed um and like cuddle you and read to you when you need that but you can decide what time that is Mm. and that's worked really well but I think just like knowing like I said earlier like looking through some of that adultism, if it's um, showing up for you and just like having a conversation with your child and letting them have some say, or at least express their views about what's right for them and let them have an opinion on it and know that that's really valid. Certainly, often you know there can be safety concerns and there can be things that they're just not psychologically ready for and I think that's valid but I think bringing their input into the family decision making as much as possible is really really empowering for them Mm. Um, but really illuminating
0: for us as well Mm, beautiful okay I'd love to close with a suggestion for those parents who do have this narrative around it's so hard I'm so exhausted I'm so overwhelmed it's all just too much, like, uh, what is a, maybe a sentence or some words or something that they could anchor themselves to to start redefining how they see parenting? Yeah, well, I've, I wonder how much of it is just that there's a
1: choice and there's a choice to see things differently. And that's like, I mean, it comes up, I think it probably gets a little bit overused in personal development kind of stuff. But what if you just started with I'm willing to see this differently and like Mm -hmm. how can parenting be different for me how can parenting be fulfilling and playful for all of us just opening up to that willingness to see it differently to know that there's another way Mm -hmm. and then let that
0: guide you into something different that's gorgeous I think that's what a lot of parents probably need to hear right now thank you so much Sarah thank you so much for having me (laughs)